We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Amar Ahmed, who is a policy officer and is also responsible for the excellent Vote Switzerland Twitter account. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me and... Uh... Thanks for the wonderful praise that you have for my two-weeks-old account. <laughs> well, it's a very interesting account. And the first question um, that I'd like to ask you is, what made you become interested in, in Switzerland and, and Swiss politics? Well, I guess um, it, it started with my education itself. So I graduated um, last year from the University of Manchester and um, I obtained a master's in political science, governance and public policy. So um, put like the key kind of focus of the degree was uh, public institutions, you know, how they are mm. developed, what their history says about them and how it guides them to operate. And um, when you look at the political institutions of any country, they are very much informed by their past. They're quite reactionary to their history. Yeah. It says a lot about where they've come from. So, um, you, I mean, personally, I'm quite interested in European politics as well as uh, British politics uh, from where I'm based. And um, I guess my first kind of um, interaction with Switzerland was that I noticed that there's a massive gaping hole in the middle of the European Union. There's a small uh, nation that is geographically right at the centre of Europe or outside of the European Union. And so I had a few questions. I thought, let me have a look at the key institutions and what I found was that Switzerland had a very unique system and it wasn't something that was quite well known. There's not much about Switzerland, I think. I think there's quite a lot of people who are interested in politics and political systems outside of their domestic politics and outside of perhaps the United States for the reason being that it's the uh, current world power. Mm. Not many people know about the tiny mountainous state of Switzerland. So um, one day I thought, Switzerland is really interesting. There's not much information about Switzerland. Why not create an account dedicated to covering um, Swiss politics and perhaps educate some people who are interested in general um, global politics? And um, as you say, Switzerland is very much a, a, an interesting nation within uh, the concept of um, Europe and the European Union. And I'd, I'd like to explore uh, the, the form that the Swiss government takes because it's quite an interesting uh, mixture you have a, a national council a, a council of states and a federal council um, could you explain to the listeners what those different parts of the uh, swiss state do and, and and how they differ okay so um i guess one key theme when it comes to these institutions is the concept of power sharing within switzerland the way their institutions are built up is to share power so firstly it is a highly federalized state. Even though Switzerland is referred as the um, Confederation of Switzerland, it, it actually is a federation. So it shares power at the legislative level um, from the federal to the cantonal, which is um, the Swiss version of a state, such as mm. New York or Texas. So at the federal level, you have the legislature, which is the federal assembly. So the federal assembly is split into two chambers. You have the Council of State, which operates similar to the US uh, Senate, in which the 26 cantons each have a two representatives 
except for the six half cantons, which are the smaller cantons who have a single uh, representative. And then you have the lower chamber, which is um, called the uh, National Council. The National Council has 200 members and its seats are distributed amongst the cantons uh, by population density. So, for example, a canton such as Zurich would have 35 seats and a canton such as uh, St. Garland. And, um, and I'm sorry to any uh, listeners from St. Garland who uh, would probably be um, uh, quite annoyed that I might have pronounced their um, canton wrong, but they would have 12 seats. So um, that's the basic layout of um, the two houses. Um, and now the two houses have um, quite a number of unique char characteristics. So they're um, elected on four-year terms. So the previous election, a federal election that took place in Switzerland took place in 2019 and the next one will is scheduled to take part in 2023. Now, first thing to know about um, the MPs it, themselves are um, generally over history, but less as you as we get to 2019 and 2020 is that the um, MPs work on a part time basis. So there are four legislative kind of sessions throughout a year. So you'll have the spring session, the summer session, the autumn, and then the winter. So currently, um, the MPs are sitting the winter sessions and debating the current laws and etc. And usually MPs will also have a other jobs to which they will get to when the sessions are not on within the uh, Federal Assembly. Um, that, and that's less the case uh, as time went on, as um, the role of a politician became more professionalised in Switzerland. Um, well, the second kind of key aspect of the Federal Assembly, um, the two uh, chambers and the duty that they perform is that they confirm the executive. Now, um, like their German counterpart, the Federal Assembly, also known as the Bundesversammlung, and again, if I butchered it, I completely apologize to German speakers, um, is that they choose the president or the, um, the head of state. However, when it comes to um, Switzerland, the, they do not elect one person, they elect seven different people. They share the role of head of state um, and they sit on what is known as the uh, Federal Council. Separate to the National Council, um, the Federal Council, so each of the seven members, have a specific portfolio. So you will have one that has uh, a competency within finance, another one in foreign affairs, so similar to a usual cabinet government. Mm -hmm. The difference when it comes to the uh, Federal Council is that they um, practice a specific Latin phrase, which I will not butcher, in which each member is has an equal rank and status to one another. There is no sing, there is no form of hierarchy within that seven-member executive body, um, and each um, works in a way in which um, they work to find consensus. And once a decision has, be, has been made, they speak in one voice. Um, now there is the title of president of the Swiss Confederation. Um, however, that's mainly a ceremonial title. It has one-year terms, and um, the Federal Assembly chooses one of the seven members from the Federal Council to hold the title for that year. And then um, the title, after the one-year term is up, that title gets passed on to the nominated vice president, who is also one of the seven members of the council. Now, because it's one-year terms, the... Uh, you can imagine that there are probably uh, members of the Federal Council who have served the title of the Swiss Federal Presidency twice. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, one of the longest current uh, reigning members of the Federal Council 
uh, is an SVP, which is the Swiss People's Party politician, uh, Mr. Mura, who has served twice as Swiss president. Um, and, uh, and the Swiss president represents Switzerland on, on the national, sorry, the international stage. Um, when it requires and also um, chairs the actual the meetings of the federal council. So the federal council is very much the executive body um, and it exists as an executive body in which uh, power is distributed amongst seven different uh, candidates. Now, I think one very interesting aspect of the way that the governing system in uh, Switzerland works is that the parties of Switzerland, there is the Swiss People's Party, which is a national conservative a populist agrarian party. They are the current largest uh, political party when it comes to representation in the federal level. There is the SP, the uh, Social Democratic Party, who are the centralist party. You also have the Christian Democrats. You have the Liberals as well. And they generally are the four biggest parties in Switzerland. You also have some smaller parties. So you have the Greens. And you also have the GLP, which is uh, the Green Liberals. So there are slightly, uh, there are parties that focus on green issues mixed with a liberal economic outlook. Now, um, so the way that the Swiss system has operated for decades is that um, it exists within a grand coalition. So the four main parties, the Social Democrats, the Christian Democrats, the Liberals, and the Swiss People's Parties, representing voters from the centre-left all the way to the uh, to the right wing of the political spectrum, exist in a kind of uh, permanent coalition. So the way that this operates is that each, uh, so the seven seats are distributed amongst all four parties. So the three largest parties in terms of um, uh, popular support uh, take two seats on the federal council and the fourth largest takes the uh, seventh seat and it's um, parts of it is kind of defined within the constitution and other parts of it is kind of a formal agreement so what happens is the as to the legislator the federal assembly comes together and they basically nominate or they vote on a candidate to take one of the seven seats usually because of the way it operates within switzerland most members of the federal council runs for more than one uh, one term, um, and this term corresponds at the same with the um, with the legislative term of the federal assembly. The four parties will nominate um, uh, one or two candidates depending on their party strength, and usually all the M MPs and the politicians from uh, the four main parties will uh, will agree to that individual taking one of the seven seats. So uh, as I stated earlier, one of the themes is this sharing of power. What we find is that there's a sharing of power on the executive level between four parties with very different uh, political outlooks, I must say. And mm. I think that's one of the very unique things about Switzerland is that it's shared power like this amongst such different political actors for decades. Um, now, one of the other things that is uh, particularly uh, unusual and, and interesting uh, for someone who, who, who isn't Swiss about Swiss politics is the amount of referendums that they have. It's much more usual in Switzerland to have referendums than, say, for example, uh, in the UK. Now, um, why does Switzerland have so many referendums and how effective do you think uh, the referendums in Switzerland are at resolving issues? I think a kind of, so if you do look and explore at the Swiss institutions, a lot of, um, a lot of the Swiss outlook is that it shares responsibility. 
so that's me just repeating that previous point, but mm. it shares responsibility in the sense that, you know, you have, um, you have legislative power shared from the federal to the municipal level. Yeah. Um, and that is also shared to the population. Um, this also comes from the fact that these, uh, the member states were all quite highly, uh, come, have a very proud and long history, um, in, of, of independence and power located at the, um, local level. So this, in this, in this very federalized state, it ensures that there is not a top heavy relationship between the citizens and the politicians that sit right at the top. Mm. Um, now, I think a, a key misconception when it comes to Switzerland is people refer to it as a direct democracy. That's not the case, considering the fact that, as we've explored, um, they elect uh, members of parliament to represent mm. them on the federal assembly. But the um, Swiss constitution allows Switzerland, to, uh, Swiss citizens and Swiss voters to have a great say on the way that legislation works and, uh, and initiatives that are enacted on these three different levels. So if a, um, if a Swiss citizen, um, uh, or is it a group of citizens want to challenge a specific legislation that has been passed by, let's say, the uh, Federal Assembly, there are requirements to which they will need to get a certain amount of signatures by a certain amount of time. Once that, uh, once those uh, preconditions are met, then irregardless to whether the, uh, the legislator itself wants to does not want to hold a referendum on that specific topic area or legislation, etc. In within the uh, constitution, they are mandated to hold those uh, a referendum on that issue. So they could either so they could either um, vote down a specific law or su suggest a new initiative for the federal, municipal, or cantonal um, governments to take hold. Um, so the way that the um, referendum system works is that similar to how the uh, the legislative periods are split up within the year, there are four specific key dates throughout the year that are booked specifically for potential referendums. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, um, la la the Sunday that has just gone by, Sunday the 29th of November, the uh, Switzerland held their final um Referendum day is what, if you want to refer to it as that. Mm. And there were two key issues in, wh in which um, there were popular initiatives started um, that gathered enough momentum, enough votes to uh, warrant holding a referendum. One was on um, um, adhering to human rights and environmental principles, and the other was relating to investing in kind of the uh, war weaponry industry. Mm. Um, and so the way the, the referendum system works is that um, there needs to be a double majority. So the double majority is that um, the popular vote, they need to obtain 50% or more. And at the same time, they must obtain a yes vote from the majority of the cantons. So the 24 cantons count as one vote and the six half cantons count as three votes. So essentially, you would need 12 cantonal kind of uh, approval for the law to pass. The first referendum on the environment and human rights passed the popular margin but failed to obtain the cantonal approval, whilst the second one failed at both. So it is a very interesting system, and I think some listeners can allude um, certain similarities to the way that the US um, electoral system works in the sense mm. of the electoral college and the popular vote. On your point uh, or your question about whether this is a success, from the perspective of someone that lives outside of Switzerland and is not engrossed in the, uh, in the life of a, an average Swiss voter would uh, usually be, um, I guess my answer wouldn't be as uh, true to form mm -hmm. as someone who would lived and experienced it. 
I guess the one issue, and I guess um, that comes with this system, is that, for example, both initiatives that were proposed um, by popular initiatives, so this, these were citizenship uh, campaigns um, that were supported by businesses and um, specific industries and specific politicians, uh, both the Federal Assembly and the Federal Council, the legislature and the executive, um, disagreed with the initiatives and actually recommended a no vote. So what you can have is a an odd situation in which the population um, may approve um, a specific uh, law or initiative, um, uh, but the uh, the legislature and the executive who are tasked with um, carrying this specific demand out may be dead set against it. Mm. So you have that kind of clash in between, uh, you know, the, that that perception, and that's quite odd. Um, and I guess the second element to your question also is that when it comes to success, the I think a key issue in Swiss politics is that there's relatively low turnout. So um, turnout usually is, I think, in its height around 50%, but can easily go down to about 30% itself. And there can often be a kind of... Uh, legislative or um, election overload if you might say because you have municipal you have municipal elections you have cantonal elections uh, for the legislature and the executive and uh, you have federal elections and then on the same level you will also have federal um, referendums you will have cantonal referendums and then also at a municipal level so there are multiple things in which a swiss citizen is voting on throughout the year and this is not a very specific period this is spread throughout the year and another element is that whilst the, there is information posted on government websites regarding each initiative, if you're voting on uh, six initiatives at the cantonal level and three initiatives at the federal level, you might, uh, the average Swiss citizen might not want to sit down and uh, partake <laughs> a couple of hours trying to come up to speed in mm. who's saying what and what the pro and against arguments are. So I guess it's interesting because the whole concept of referendum is an engagement activity in some sense with the population but it seems that within switzerland there is an engagement problem when it comes to uh the referendums and the citizens especially if you look at low turnout and low enthusiasm Mm. Um, now uh, one particular issue um that we mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast and one issue that has been uh, put to a referendum is a membership of the european union and of course switzerland isn't uh, a member uh, of the european union how much do you think the European Union influences and, and, and impacts on, on Swiss politics? As of right now, the, the idea of the European Union and joining or you know, remaining outside of it isn't a very highly politicised um, topic in itself. Mm. Um, most there are parties who support the current bilateral agreements, um, such as the, um, the Green Party and the uh, Social Democratic Party, whilst there are, um, uh, whilst the Swiss People's Party, the right-wing party, um, favours a more distant approach. And it was uh, SVP politicians who, uh, who started the ball rolling on the referendum that, we, that was held earlier in the year regarding their current constitutional uh, relationship with the European Union. The way that the Swiss system works and the way that it's broken up within cantons and municipalities, I don't think the EU is a big contentious issue. Whilst there might be certain points around aggression, you know, certain um, points of contention, etc., I think generally mm. their current relationship isn't something that 
generates a lot of um, uh, a lot of the political kind of communications, um, especially currently due to the current COVID situation within Switzerland. But um, I think so far, this uh, Swiss citizens, most political parties and the uh, the legislators are quite happy with the current relationship that exists between the European Union and the Confederation of Switzerland. One issue that I thought was uh, quite interesting in relation uh, to Swiss politics is um, the the current president of the um, Swiss Confederation is a uh, is a woman. But uh, previously, Switzerland has a, an interesting relationship um, with uh, female uh, suffrage, with um, women only being able to uh, vote in, in federal elections in 1971. Though, of course, they were able to vote in um, in some canton elections in the 1950s and one particular canton, I think, only passed in, in the 1990s. Why do you think that uh, Switzerland took quite a bit in comparison with some other European countries um, to pass female suffrage? And what impact do you think that that has had, not just on Swiss history, but on uh, Swiss politics? I guess, um, I mean, firstly, the lack of representation of women for such a long period, especially in voting, um, well, I mean, most definitely would have um, quite a big impact on the way that um, laws and um, choices are made on the three different levels. I think one aspect <clears throat> in which it took Switzerland so long, and it is very surprising because it seems quite an outlier in that sense when it comes to female um, uh, suffrage in uh, Europe, is that a key kind of approach to politics, especially on the federal level, is to not get too involved there is always this um, this phobia of being too highly centralized or too unitary in their governance, mm. uh, in their approach to governance, which is why you know we, you saw strides up more on a cantonal level before it became uh, something that materialized on the federal level. I think the impacts, obviously, long term, um, can be depicted in many different ways. But one, personally, Switzerland is a quite a conservative. Of a conservative nation in the sense, mm. you know, the way in which it votes, um, you know, um, the parties based on the right side of the political political spectrum usually tend to um, do much better at both a cantonal and a federal level. The current, a lot, uh, the largest party is the SVP, um, who now hold both the presidency of both chambers and will be taking over the presidency of the Swiss Confederation um, from the current um, president. Um, uh, and also, um, there's a kind of a rich history between um, uh, religion and the state in a sense mm-hmm. that you have three parties that reference, you know, the religious element is quite strongly reflected mm-hmm. within the, um, the the Christian Democrats, the Conservative Democrats and the Ev- Evangelical People's Party. Um, so the impact of the system um, and the currently on uh, and how long it took for Swiss um, female voters to get the vote could really only be communicated by someone who has lived through that period and currently can see the impacts of it. But what we can gather from Switzerland is it's a it's a very conservative style country. It very much doesn't like to meddle within um, its governance structures and likes to leave a lot of um, competencies to the state level. Um, and I guess one thing that really did push um, female suffrage was the fact that they were quite late to the game. Um, and by that point, there would have been quite great um, pressure to uh, push forward um, the suffrage. Um, and also the um, the referendum system as well. 
as I mentioned, you need a double majority. So um, the, um, the kind of cantonal system in the, uh, that's reflected in the um, Council of States and also the, in, in a referendum in which you need a majority of cantons will usually almost always um, favour uh, the Conservative um, side of Switzerland. And so more progressive, um, more or left-leaning politics usually would struggle in a system that favours more conservative outlook um, to political and social life. And you mentioned conservative outlook there. And one of the interesting things uh, I think about Switzerland is the focus it was given by um, Steve Bannon. He he went to Switzerland in um, 2018 and spoke before uh, an an event of... um, uh, conservative activists and he uh, expressed uh, the belief that he thought that um, Switzerland you know could be a, a, a place that um, could start as a kind of like a Trumpian movement in Europe I mean how applicable do you think that is do you think that uh, Switzerland in its political nature is quite a um, populist uh, leaning state or do you think that because of the system it's sort of uh, it ensures that populism doesn't get um, too uh, out of hand, perhaps. It's a very interesting dichotomy, especially between the principle of sharing of power and populism in itself. Mm. There are very, there are many touch points and aspects of the way the Swiss system works that easily could promote um, populist politics, and there are a number of uh, populist politicians that have a current, are currently very prominent within um, the Swiss political life. But the con- consensus building and the sharing of power um, usually stems a lot of the populist kind of knee jerks of, you know, people coming from a more populist uh, political persuasion. Um, I don't, I, I would completely disagree with um, Steve Bannon's assessment that Switzerland would be a great um, place in which a populist movement can start that would light the fires of populism across <laughs> Europe, specifically because I think, again, Switzerland exists within a very weird paradigm where it's at the center of Europe, but it also exists outside of the EU. And it speaks to a lot about, I guess, the best kind of phrase for it is that Switzerland likes to mind its own business. It's a very inward focus in the sense that it has that quite arm length relationship with the EU. Mm-hmm. And that's often how it kind of um, operates when it comes to um, European style politics. And the other element is um, one of the key reasons why um, individuals like Bannon would um, speak about the, um, the potential of populism in Switzerland is because of the SVP and the success that they have electorally in Switzerland. Um, they have the most representatives on a cantonal level as well, uh, mm. as well as on a federal level. Um, but what he fails to understand is that within that system, especially within the way that the federal council works, is that the conservative populists share power with the left-wing social democrats, with the Christian uh, democrats, etc. So there's a, there, uh, most people would always say that any political party coming into power usually moderates. There's mm-hmm. always a small drift towards the center as the realization and responsibilities of power comes into fruition. And that's very much the case um, in, in Switzerland. And that's the way that the Swiss system operates is that it, it tries to seek consensus and the majority of uh, the people. Um, and I think, you know, they are very an independent minded nation in its outlook. So I think personally, 
the that assessment is wrong. I guess you know the the best, most surefire way to spread populism across Europe is by a member state that are, that has a prominent populist party and mm. exists within the European Union. That yeah. would be a better tool to spread populism. But because of the Swiss um, um, interesting relationship with the EU and the way that it works as a country, I would disagree with those uh, remarks. Mm. Um, we're coming towards uh, the end of the uh, podcast, Amar. It's been fantastic to have you on. And I've got one final question. Now, obviously, because of coronavirus, people haven't been able uh, to travel as much. And hopefully with uh, vaccines uh, coming out, we will be able to resume uh, traveling. So my final question to you is this. Uh, if or hopefully when you'll be able to uh, spend a, a day in Switzerland, what what sort of uh, places would you go to and, and what things would you do if you could uh, spend even just a day in, in Switzerland? Um, there is this mountain slide. Um, it's a, I think the location is called Grindelwald. Um, I have seen many different people who have personally gone there, mm. shared their experience and have seen um, images, etc. It is I, I would recommend the um, I would recommend it to almost anyone who visits Switzerland because it's um, it's an amazing attraction. The views, uh, the mountain views, um, the forests and the valleys is, is impeccable. Um, and Switzerland overall, I mean, it is it's a beautiful country. It's very um, different to a lot of other European countries. Very kind of uh, unique in the in its mountainous and hilly sense. So I would recommend going to Grindelwald, getting onto that mountain slide. Well, hopefully you'll be able uh, to go to uh, Grindelwald very soon. Uh, for people who want to find out more about the Twitter account, where should they go? Um, so they should go to Vault Switzerland on um, Twitter. Um, give us a follow and um, we'll keep you up to date with all elections and referendums on a federal and a cantonal level. Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.